Okay, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 2. Let's pray one more time, asking the Lord to, to speak to us with revelation tonight. We need you to come. We need you to come. We really don't need another teaching from a man. What we need is heaven to speak. To bring clarity to our heart, God, we recognize that many areas, in many areas, we are dull. And God, we're asking you to wake us up. Draw us in. Give us revelation. I pray you'd speak with clarity. I pray, God, you would release the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. The eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. We would understand and know the hope of your calling. Riches, the glory of your inheritance in the saints. Exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe. God, bear upon us. Let the word from heaven bear upon us tonight. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. Now bear upon us, I pray. Bear upon us, I pray. The activity of our lives, they begin to make sense. What we do would make sense in light of your agenda, God. Lord, we love you. We give you thanks. We love you. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. I am um, going to do two weeks on uh, Israel and the millennium. And I would just say this, that for years uh, as a Christian, I had no understanding at all about what the Israel thing was. And that's what I called it, just the Israel thing. You know, they'd get up and you'd have the missionary come in from Israel and be like, he's going to talk about Israel and they're going to have an Israeli flag and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know anything past that. And it never made sense to me for a long, long time. And um, it's really just been within the last five years that the Lord has begun to open the whole thing up to me. And I'm, I'm going to tell you that Christianity doesn't make sense unless you have the Israel thing landed. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Um, we, we, do you understand? We serve the Jewish Messiah. And, and that little feature is a big point. <laughs> Our king is God's king over Israel. That's a big, big point. And uh, the Holy One of Israel, like we sang tonight, the Holy One of Israel is a man who is God. And that's who we worship, Jesus. That's who we say we worship. And so uh, the, the issues regarding Israel, the end of the age, and the next age are uh, foundational. They really are Christianity 101 foundational to what our faith is even about, yet very few of us have any real comprehension of what the deal even is and what the Bible even says. And I mean, I'm stunned because over and over and over, the verses just leap off the page. They're so clear about what God's doing as it relates to this nation. He's chosen a people and he's chosen a geographic location He's chosen a people group that he brought out of Abraham, and he's chosen a, a geographic location. And, and the reason why he's chosen that is to set, install his king in that place on the earth 
to rule the planet in time in the age to come. And the verses are so uh, clear. There's so much in the Bible on it. It's not like, you know, you take the one verse and sort of bend it and rip it out of context and go, see, yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to be on the earth. No, it's just like everywhere. And the problem is that the promises are so stunning that we get into unbelief when we read the Bible and we just spiritualize it. Because the promises uh, that God is declaring over this nation are so shocking that uh, we, we, just, we just can't stomach it, so we just make it spiritual and just make it something that's, you know, ethereal. Or worse than that, we say it doesn't apply to uh, the nation of Israel. It applies to the church, and we just replace uh, God's promise to Israel, and we make that the promise to the church. And, and I want to say this. The promise is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so everything that God does promise to Israel, there is a like promise. Uh, kind and lesser measure reality that the church will enter into in this age and in the age to come. But it is to Jew, the Jew first. I mean, that the gospel was to the Jew first. Romans 1 is clear on that. And so I want to just take a couple weeks. We've kind of been um, in a little bit of a, an in-between time actually hitting the issue of Israel sort of several weeks in a row. And I just want to hit it again for a couple weeks. But I want to come from the vantage point of the kingdom, the agenda of the Lord at the end of the age, and what this thing is actually going to look like. Beloved, you and I, we, we've got to get this. We have dramatic participation in the plan of God uh, at, and at the end of this age, for sure, but also in the next age. You have a dramatic participation with God's kingdom and God's agenda that He will be working in the earth in the next age. That's a big, big point that we live almost blind of. And I want to say this to you real strong and real clear. To the extent that we are uh, blind to the agenda of the Lord as it relates to the coming age, we are blind to the reality of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is all about this king that he's going to set on his holy hill in Zion. And if we don't have that picture, we are, we are totally blind to vast numbers of scriptures that declare what the kingdom's reality will be in the earth in the next age. And here's, here's the... See, I'm gripped over this point right now because we live mostly blind to any picture of the age to come. And because we're blind to that, we're blind to the reality of the kingdom of God. We don't have any concept of what that thing even is. And, I, and that right now has got me stunned and scared and concerned and alert. And because the gospel of the kingdom has to be preached in all the earth and then the end will come. But we, if we only preach a gospel of forgiveness and we don't preach the gospel of the kingdom, what are we even preaching? While the gospel, of the gospel of the kingdom absolutely includes the forgiveness of sins, it must also include the repentance from sin. There is no entrance into the kingdom of God unless there is repentance of sin. A turning away from sin and an embracing of the kingdom value system and that king, Jesus and I'll say this, Jesus is no king over anyone who does not embrace him and his value system in their life. 
Now, I'm not saying we start at level 10 living fully, you know, in the values of the kingdom. I mean, we start broken and weak, and he is so kind. He's, there's no king like him. He allows people to blow it for thousands and thousands of years, continually extending mercy, and he's the martyr of his own kingdom. He's the high priest of the religious system, and he is the sacrifice. He guarantees the way for entrance into his kingdom by his own blood. There's nobody like him. I mean, it's just not even close. And so he is so kind as it relates to the entrance of his kingdom. But I want to say this so strong because we've really, really got to get this. There is no entrance to the kingdom of God without repentance from dead works. We must renounce the old kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, and therefore embrace the new kingdom, the kingdom of light. We must embrace the man Christ Jesus as king, and then we get entrance to his kingdom. And when we preach repent, uh, when we preach forgiveness without repentance, we leave masses completely unconverted and confused as it relates to their salvation. And I think right now, we are staring at a Western church that is absolutely confused at, to this issue of salvation. We have told them, come down to this altar, pray a simple prayer. And once you're saved, you're always saved. Regardless of what anybody tells you, write it in the back of your Bible. But where's, where's the verse for that? What about the foundational doctrine of repentance from dead works? Turning in your mind and turning in your heart and getting rid of sin and embracing Christ. What about that one? The, the biblical reality of this thing. So we have a kingdom that we are a part of that really is, uh, when this thing really lands, because it's in a measure now, but it's going to come in fullness, and when it lands, it will be a global empire, a global empire that will run every nation. And you, you, little old you, are part of the leadership team of that global empire in the next age. That's how this thing works. You know that whole thing about the meek shall inherit the earth? That's not figurative. That's real. The meek, that's a a value of the kingdom. When you get entrance to the kingdom through being poor in spirit and living meek in this life, he gives you an inheritance, and the inheritance is the planet and the nations on it. So you're part of the leadership team of Christ in the next age, but we almost have no picture of this thing. It's a trip. So I'm living a little stunned right now, a little agitated. Forgive me if I come across a little agitated. Shocked, concerned, surprised, hopeful, but knowing that we've got to be alert to God's agenda, the the political plan of the kingdom right now, His agenda, and what he's going to do, the, 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 uh, the plan for the, the global discipling of the nations. We love disciple the nations. We love that, going to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, make disciples of all nations. We love that idea. But can I tell you something? The nations aren't going to be fully discipled until Jesus Christ is reigning on the planet. The discipling of the nations equals from the president of the nation all the way down to the Boy Scout. Everybody's living by the value system of the kingdom of God. That reality doesn't actually happen in fullness until the age to come. This is Bible. So let me just get into verses. 
Ah, no, I need to set it up a little bit more for you. Ugh. There's, there's, there's so much that we don't have a picture of that we just got to get our minds like, oh my gosh, there's a whole other age? Oh yeah. And you're going to like have real life things going on in it. And you're going to have interaction with God in helping him rule the planet for real. And so I, um, I'm gripped that we must, we must have this. And, and, I, and I think this, you know, one would say that uh, if you have a real future faith, if you're, if you're thinking about what's to come and the age to come, that it disqualifies you from having an active faith now. And I would say the exact opposite is true. That if you have a future faith, if you have your, your faith um, focused on what is coming, the plan of God, you get right in rhythm with what God is doing right now unto what it's becoming, and you can get right in the prophetic flow of what God is bringing about in the earth. It doesn't disqualify you or inhibit you from having an active faith now. It gets you in the game in a better way, is my, is my belief. So many would believe, well, if you're, all, if you're all focused on the age to come, you're just sort of, you know, waiting for the sweet by and by. No, no, that's not it at all. If I see who this king is and what he's getting ready to do to the planet, oh my goodness. I need to get on his team in a real, real way and quit leaving it out there to, you know, it'll all pan out. And so I think that the greater picture that we have of the age to come makes our faith make more sense right now. And many, what they would do is say this, well, brother, that's not practical. You know, you're talking about a kingdom and Jesus ruling from Zion, but, but I just want to know how to do my nine to five. I tell you this, you know, practical or pragmatic, being pragmatic is about doing what makes the most sense and taking care of business in the way that makes the most sense. Live, and learning what makes the most sense and living it. That's what practical is. And I would say this. You may not believe that the age to come is practical if you're, all you're focused on is your nine to five. But if you get a vision of the age to come, that's the most practical thing you can do because now you can live your nine to five in a way that actually makes sense with the kingdom of God. Otherwise, you live your nine to five in a way that's divergent from God's agenda at the end of the age and his plan for the ages to come. But if you have a picture of the ages to come, you can actually be pragmatic. When, and that means this, that you tune your life, you tune all the rhythms of your life in a very specific way to understanding that there is a king who is coming to the planet who's going to overthrow the thrones of the nations, Haggai chapter 2 says, and he's going to rule from Zion and that you are being qualified right now to rule and reign with this king. What the most practical thing you can do is find out what the value system of this king is and live it so hardcore right now unto having your place in the kingdom in the age to come. That's the most practical thing you can do. It means resisting flesh, resisting carnal desires, pushing off on everything that everybody's running headlong into, not spending yourself on what doesn't matter, but giving yourself in a real way to the value system of the kingdom, which is fasting, prayer, giving, forgiving, trusting God in faith, and living simply in this life. If we don't have a vision of where this thing is going, beloved, we will live our nine to five day in and day out without a clue divergent from the reality of the kingdom of God. All the while saying that we're in the kingdom and citizens of it, yet not even having a picture of what the kingdom is about. Oh, I'm a little bit gripped over this. Does it make sense what I'm saying? So I tell you the most practical thing I can teach you, yes, I want you to balance your checkbook and I want you to be faithful with your finances, but the most practical thing I can teach you is this. There is a king coming. He's going to rule the planet and you have a very specific participation in that king's kingdom. 
and the way that you live your life right now will influence all the things that are coming in the future. And we've got to get our mind around it. That's the most practical thing I can teach you. Fast and pray. Give yourself to meekness and mourning, humility in this life. Resist the desires of the flesh. Resist the carnality the world's cramming down your throat. Don't take Christianity and paint it on your building and keep the value system of the kingdom of darkness and call that Christ. Don't do that. Help, God. So, Isaiah 2. Look at this. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house, the mountain of the Lord's house, the mountain of the Lord's house, that's talking about Zion, Mount Zion in Jerusalem, the Temple Mount. Okay, I I remember... A while ago, going, okay, I get Jerusalem, I get Israel. What's this Zion thing? I didn't know. I was looking through the verses, and I would see Zion mentioned. I'm like, well, what is Zion? It's a mountain in Jerusalem. It's more of a a, a hill in Jerusalem where the temple was, and right now there's a a mosque sitting on it. That mosque is going to go away. (laughs) There will be a temple built there. And Jesus will rule from that mountain. Okay? And the Bible calls it the mountain of the Lord's house. It calls it all sorts of things. But right here in Isaiah 2, it says, In the latter days, the mountain of the Lord's house, it will be established on top of the mountains. Now that's interesting language. What is that talking about? I don't know, but we'll get to it in a minute. But let's just read through this. It shall be exalted above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and we shall walk in His paths. Out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Verse 5, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Oh, I love verse 5, and I'll tell you why in a minute. All right, so the mountain of the house, of the Lord's house, shall be established on top of all the mountains and all the hills. What is that talking about? That is literal and that is uh, figurative. It is literal and it is figurative. So it's saying this, that Zion, the mountain in Jerusalem will be exalted in a physical way over all the mountains in the earth. You start doing the math on it, you go, so you're saying it's going to be taller than Mount Everest. It's going to be taller than the Andes. It's going to be taller than the Blue Ridge. I am absolutely saying that. I am saying at the seventh bowl, Revelation 16, the last 
massive judgment event in this age that every mountain in the earth will be leveled. Revelation 16 describes it in verse 20. It's 18 through 20. It says, The greatest earthquake that the planet has ever seen is coming. It's coming during the seventh bowl judgment, the last judgment event in this age. And when that bowl is poured on the planet, the greatest earthquake the earth has ever seen will hit the planet, and it will hit the planet in a global way, and every mountain will be leveled. Islands will disappear. Revelation 16, 20. Let's just read it. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. 18 through 20, in in chapter 16 of Revelation, it tells us that the great city, talking about Jerusalem, gets split in three uh, different sections. And Zechariah 14 tells us that uh, the Mount of Olives will split in two. So part of that three separate pieces splitting includes the Mount of Olives gets split right in two. The greatest earthquake ever is coming, and when that happens, the seismic events globally will cause every mountain on the earth to go down, and Mount Zion will go up. It will be established above all the other mountains in the earth. So it will be easy for people in that age to say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, because you don't go up to anything, because all the mountains are gone. I just figured I'd start off just getting you an unbelief right now. Because, no, that's like, no, that really is like point one. I mean, it's really like no big deal compared to what's coming. He's going to absolutely, he's going he's gonna to hit the planet with fire. The Bible says when Jesus comes, the hills will melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. Well, of course the mountains are going to be leveled. And Zion will go up. Now, it's, so it's literal. Now, it's figurative as well because what it's speaking of is the exaltation of Jerusalem and the mountain, the the government of Israel being exalted over every mountain or government, if you think of mountains as governments, being exalted over every government in the earth. And so what is getting, getting ready to happen, beloved, is this. 21 judgment events that are identified in the book of Revelation that all explain different amazing phenomenon that happened in the earth's atmosphere 21 things happen in a very short three and a half period uh, three and a half year period of time it prepares the earth for an overthrow by the man christ jesus that in isaiah 2 says the mountain of the lord gets exalted and the point is that god is going to instill his government over every government of every nation in the earth. And so people trip on it because they just don't get it. They go, so now are we, like what are we? Anybody that's born again in this age, if you're alive on the planet, you go up, you get a glorified body. If you die, you're um, absent from the body, you're present with the Lord, you come down in a glorified body. The dead and the alive meet the Lord in the air. So anybody that gets saved in this age, you get a glorified body and you're forever with the Lord. But there's this group that the Bible talks about that will make it through. They're survivors. They're, they're mentioned five or six times. They make it through all the judgment events at the end of the age. And they go ahead and repopulate the planet. 
And Jesus rules these, these people that are left. He rules this, these nations. Now, they're a very small number to begin, but the planet is going to get radically healed. I mean, Isaiah 35 talks about how waters will spring up in the deserts. Willows and all these, these, these fruitful things will happen. I mean, Isaiah 65, Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66 describes this. It says, the one that is 100 years old and dies will be thought of as cursed. Just, why did that guy die so young? See, we just celebrated my grandmother's 100-year birthday in January. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, she's old. <laughs> the Bible says the guy that dies at 100 will be thought of as dying way too young. The earth's environment will be healed. The atmosphere will be healed. People will begin living hundreds of years so here's what we got every nation is going to be submitted to the lordship of Jesus it's also figurative of this this is going to see this is going to tweak you real good every nation will be submitted to the nation of Israel in the age to come turn over to Isaiah 60 let me show it to you It kind of makes sense if they're all submitting to Jesus and he's the king of Israel. Well, guess what? They're on the winning team. Hold your spot in Isaiah 2 because we're going to come back to it. Isaiah 60, and we'll hit Isaiah 60 a little bit more next week. And I'm I'm just giving sort of like random introductory thoughts because we've got to get around these things, beloved. We've got to know this kingdom that we're a part of. We've got to get this. We've got to get the verses in us. We need a long study of Isaiah 60. I mean, just what are you saying is going to happen? But look at this, look at this in Isaiah six, uh, 60, verse 14. This is a word to Israel. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you. And all those who despise you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet. It does say that, doesn't it? And they shall call you the city of the Lord. Zion of the Holy One of Israel. They're gonna, the nations are going to bow down to Jesus, but you know what? They're going to bow down to Israel. Not in a worship them like God kind of a way, but they're going to submit <laughs> To Jesus as king over Israel, and, and Israel is going to be 100% righteous, burning with what the Bible calls the spirit of burning, serving the Lord. They're going to be the Lord's team. And all the nations are going to bow the knee. It's, it's stunning because all the nations are raging right now against Israel, aren't they? I mean, they're all against them. Let's just blow them up. Let's just, let's just do anything we can. Let's do terror attacks. Let's do all sorts. What's going on? The nations are raging. We're going to look at that in Psalm 2 in just a second. They're raging. And the reason why is they don't even recognize it. The reason why is because God has an agenda. He's setting up a king. Satan wants to set up a king. But God has already chosen his king. And so the nations are raging against God's choice of his king. That's what's going on. God's king is Jesus. Satan's king is Antichrist. And this thing is going to get real clear in a few years. We don't have a picture of it. 
we really don't. We don't have a picture of where this thing is going. There is a collision of kingdoms coming in such a dramatic way. And it's centered around this, that God has already voted. He's voted for his king, who he is instilling in Jerusalem, on Zion. And that king, he's not going to just rule Israel. He's going to rule all of the nations, 262 of them. He's going to rule them all. Every nation will be submitted to Jesus. Their governments will be submitted to Jesus. Their economic systems will be submitted to Jesus. Their school systems will be submitted to Jesus. Their libraries, I mean... Their entertainment structures. I mean, every facet of every society, of every nation, will be led by the man, Christ Jesus, and you will help him implement his global kingdom rule in areas all across the earth. Now, do you remember when he said this one that was faithful, he's going to receive, you know, five cities? And this other one who's faithful, he's going to receive ten cities? Now, he was using that to illustrate a point, but he was giving us a hint of where this is going. Some of you, because of your faithfulness in this age, are going to have leadership of five cities in the age to come. I wish you could see what I see. It's like... It's so scary because we don't know this. And this is the kingdom. Now look at this. Isaiah 2. Let's flip on back. Help me, God. Help me say it right. Say it in an easy way to understand it, Lord. I am convinced that one of the key issues that's burning in God's heart is what he says here in verse 3 of Isaiah 2. He says, Many people will come and they'll say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Let us go to that place. I heard God is there. Let us go. Let's make a trip to, to Jerusalem. Let us, let us go to the house of the God of Jacob. They're getting it. God's house is there on the planet. They're going to see it. They're going to have their eyes around it, their, their minds around it. They're going to go, and they want to see this. They want to be involved in the meetings. Because what's going to be happening in the meetings? He will teach us his ways. And the law out of Zion shall go forth, the law. And the law will go forth from Zion. Jesus Christ himself will be in Jerusalem doing teaching meetings. Jesus, in a glorified state, will be explaining to the nations what he expects of them according to his law, his value system. You know what I think he's going to do? He's going to go, let's just all turn to Matthew chapter 5. And he's going to open up the Sermon on the Mount. And he's going to begin to break down what it means to live poor in spirit. He's going to teach them his ways. He's going to divulge the way he thinks, the way he feels, what's valuable to him, what's on his mind. He will teach them the law of God. 
And I tell you what, those are going to be the coolest teaching meetings ever. I mean, I'm embarrassed that we do teaching meetings compared to that. Because he is going to open it up. He's going to open up God's ways and God's laws. He's going to break out the value system of the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you what, you want to talk about widespread revelation. When the man Christ Jesus stands in a glorified state with Satan bound, every demon in hell bound, and he begins to proclaim the word of the Lord from Zion with a completely open heaven, Jesus himself proclaims the word. Do you think that environment might be a little bit revelatory? We're going to get it. Isaiah 33 says, your eyes shall see the king in his beauty. Jesus will be glorified as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's going to come out glorious, beautiful, majestic, the desire of all nations. It'll be in that day that that title is what they give him. He's the desire of all nations. No wonder they want to go see him. They want to go drink of him. They want to breathe of him. They want to hear from him. And he is going to proclaim the law. And I tell you, it will go with fire. It will pierce the hearts of men in a global way. And the nations will fall in line with the man Christ Jesus. That's where this is going, beloved. I was just thinking about, you know, think about trying to get every policeman in the state of Georgia to try to, like, enforce the law exactly the same. I mean, from down, you know, in Franklin, Georgia somewhere to, you know, Atlanta to Athens, I mean, wherever. And you try to get every police officer to do it exactly the same, every little guy. Impossible. Impossible. I mean, they just give you a speeding ticket just based on how they're feeling that day. I mean, God bless you, policeman. I love you. God bless you. I'm not saying you're evil. I'm just saying we are so subjective, subjective in the way that we judge right now. In that day, every law enforcement agency, every political arena, every economic uh, arena, every facet of every feature of every society will all operate completely according to the ways of the Lord not just in one state but in every nation all over the globe now now let's go ahead and just broaden it imagine trying to get the guys in Iran to do their deal the way that we do our deal Jesus is the only man who can combine every nation in the earth under one rulership and it works and he's the only man who can be the ruler of the globe and do it in meekness the law will go forth from Zion and then it says this the word of the Lord from Jerusalem can you imagine what it's going to be like with Jesus himself proclaiming the word of the Lord? You know, many of our preachings, we're trying to preach a word that's from heaven. But we don't, I mean, I, I don't. I'm not talking about the other guy. I'm talking about me. Like, it's rare that I really preach a word from the Lord because that to me is a holy reality. If I'm preaching a word from the Lord, guess what? You guys don't stand a chance. You're going to get pierced and pinned. It's Finney releasing a word, and he says about the crowd, if I had swords in both hands, I couldn't have cut them down faster. 
The word comes to bear upon the souls of men, and the men crumble under the weight of the word. A word from the Lord. Do you think a word from the Lord is a trite little cliche, kind of nice message, made me feel good word? I mean, it might make you feel, you might exalt in joy. You might go in mourning. You might go pierced through in conviction. But I know this, that Jesus in that day is going to be proclaiming the word of the Lord every time. He's going to bring all the nations under his leadership. For real. Beloved, that's where this is going. So God has a plan, and he's, he's absolutely non-negotiable, non-negotiable about this. Jesus will reign. He will reign. He is not negotiating on that, not one inch. The kings of the earth, the nations of the earth, the demonic principalities and power, they want to negotiate over this issue. They want to try to circumvent the agenda and the plan of the Lord. They're trying to work right now to establish darkness and seats of darkness and demonic power to snuff out Israel and to install a different king. And I tell you, beloved, this thing is going to heighten in such a dramatic way. The drama of the end of the age is going to be so crystal clear before us as two worship movements arise and as men who have given themselves to wickedness worship and enthrone a man who is possessed by Satan himself that worship movement will collide with a global end time worship and prayer movement that is all about this birthing this king Jesus into the earth so he can stand in Zion and rule the nations beloved this is where this thing is going this is the kingdom of God coming you've been praying that scary prayer Kingdom come. Will of God be done. He will not negotiate on this one inch. It doesn't matter if the theologians spiritualize the verses. It doesn't matter if they stand up and tell you, well, there's actually three Isaiahs, and that's who wrote the book of Isaiah, and this one we don't know which guy he is. It really doesn't matter. The word of the Lord will go forth from Zion. He will set his king on his holy hill. And God will not back from that point one inch. Beloved, do you understand you're part of a global empire? You're part of a global, spiritual, and natural empire. It's going to take the nations over. Because God is not going to allow anyone else to rule. His son is who will rule. And so it goes on. He will teach us his ways. I want to learn the ways of the Lord. I'm going, Lord, teach me your ways that I may walk in your truth. Well, can I tell you, in that day when Jesus Christ is teaching us his ways, all the nations will walk in his truth. Their hearts will be undivided and they will reverence him. They will fear him. The Jewish king that God has chosen. Look at verse uh, 4. We need to know that this is what we're a part of. We rally behind our little labels. Oh, I go to IHOP. Oh, I go to First Church. Oh, I go to First and a Half Church. Just like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Our little, what, I mean, minuscule, nothing, little title, like, please. We are part of a global empire led by God. 
He's not passive about his reign and rule. Look at this. Look at verse 4. He will judge between the nations and rebuke many people. What's that going to look like? I don't know, but it may look like this. The two nations come up and they've got a border dispute. Just like they do in the United Nations. They go, no, 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 we got that whole area over there. And the other guy goes, no, 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 that's our area. Jesus goes, no, no, no. I am God. I'm the one that moves the borders of the nations. I cause men to grope for me when I move them. You, sir, are wrong. He will judge between them with equity and justice and righteousness. And he's going to rebuke leaders. What's that going to look like? You don't want to be the guy, the president shows up and thinks you own, you know, whatever it is, however many, you know, half a million more acres. He goes, you are wrong. Yeah, I mean, to be rebuked by Jesus in the flesh in a glorified, glorified state, I don't think, no, no. I don't want that. That's going to happen. He's going to settle the disputes. Well, I guess so. I guess so. You know, the, the one nation and the other nation, they have the trouble, and they have to go to the house of the God of Jacob on the planet and look at Jesus with fire in his eyes to get their stuff dealt with. And he releases the word of the Lord. Yeah, they're going to be rebuked, I guarantee it. That'll be a rebuke that has, has some authority on it. We, we rebuke a lot of people, but many times it's not in the spirit of the Lord, has no authority. When Jesus rebukes, it will be a real rebuke. It will set the national boundaries of nations in order. He will, he will disallow them from learning war. It says they will learn war no longer. He will demand them to take all of their military uh, machinery and weaponry and to tear it down. And they will not learn war. For a thousand years, when this king rules, when the prince of peace rules the planet, there will not be a skirmish. They will not learn war anymore. There will be a thousand year reign of peace. Jesus will install his kingdom. He's going to give the law. There's going to be one lawgiver. That's what Isaiah 33, 22 says. He is our judge and he is our lawgiver. It's not going to be subjective by men's, you know, opinions. God himself, the man Jesus Christ, will give us the law. He'll, be, he'll bring correction to every institution that's not congruent with him. This is where it's going. Now turn over with me to Psalm 2. This is the empire you're a part of. This is happening. This is what's coming. This is why there's an end time drama with judgment events. This is why there's a global prayer and worship movement. Because he's birthing a kingdom. You understand, he's birthing a kingdom. He's going to make the church a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. He's going to bring pressings and fire to purify her. This idea, this idea that he's going to birth a kingdom without his bride on the planet at the end of the age is so absolutely 
divergent from biblical reality. Somehow he's going to pull the bride out in a half-baked state where she's lukewarm. He's going to pull her out and sort of just start working in the earth and do stuff. That is such a non-biblical concept. I mean, there's verses and verses. We've got series on, you know, I mean, teaching lessons on it. I mean, in detail with all the verses. But that idea is so, it just doesn't make any sense. He's got a kingdom. We are part of it. He's instituting his kingdom rule and reign on the earth. Of course, he's going to have the subjects of his kingdom integrally involved in the birthing of the kingdom in the earth. That only makes sense. Look at Psalm 2. Oh, this is such a good psalm. David had his mind around this scenario, completely had it around, had his mind around it. Psalm 2, there's 12 verses, four parts to this psalm. Each part has three verses. So it goes one, two, three, and then we get a new part. One, two, three, we get a new part. One, two, three, we get a new part. And then one, two, three, and that's the fourth part. And that's how this psalm works. It's so, it's so clear once you, once you get around just the little breakdown of it. And so the first three verses, we have the, the po- proclamation of the vanity of the nations. Their vain plan to withstand God's plan. Here it goes. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, his king. They're setting themselves against God's plan and God's king. And what they say is this. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. What the kings of the nations are saying is this. We want to vote on who has the rule and the reign of the earth. We don't want God's rule and reign. We want to break their bonds, break God's bonds, and we want to loose ourselves from God's cords. We don't want God to tell us the way that we ought to live. We don't want to follow heaven's righteousness or the value system of the kingdom of God. We want to rule and reign our way. We want to break his bonds away, away from us. We want to rage against God. The rulers of the nations, they set themselves. This is the drama that we're going to see in just a few years. We are going to see the nations of the earth, they are going to begin to come together against the Lord and his anointed. They're going to follow a man who will be possessed by the devil, the Antichrist. They will follow him and they will fulfill Psalm 2. We see this right now in a, in a very introductory measure. The nations are raging, but this thing is going to come to fruition in just a short period of time. A few years. My version of a few years. It could be three. It could be 300. It's, it's you know, a few years. Just a minute. Short period of time. So then the next section is the father declaring his decree, declaring his agenda. It says, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. I want to tell you something. It is not a good thing when 
the eternal father laughs at you in a mocking way. And that's what he's doing. He's holding them in derision and he's mocking them. The idea that humans could set themselves against God's chosen leader, God's agenda, he will laugh. That is not a good thing. That's not a good happy laugh. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and he will distress them in his deep displeasure. Why? Why? What is the issue that they are resisting and what is the issue that he is non-negotiable about? Verse 6. I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. It's, a, it's the father's plan. He goes, I've already voted. My king is Jesus and Jesus will rule. It's the non-negotiable issue in the agenda of God in the earth. God has already decreed and decided that Jesus will be installed on Zion and rule the earth. And that's what the tumult is about. That's what the nations are raging about. This issue that God has already voted and it is a done deal reality in the mind of God. We have massive drama to see this thing played out, but Jesus will rule the planet. It's the, it's the will of the Father. Verse 7, the next three verses, we get the Son accepting the Father's appointment. He's accepting the Father's positional appointment. He goes, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. That's the son. The father says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And the father declares to him in verse 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. The son says, I will. And the father says, ask me and I will give you all the earth. I will give you the nations. This is where this thing is going. I love it that David is proclaiming it because it was prophesied to David that from his lineage, the Son of God would come and rule the earth. David gets Psalm 2. I believe David had insight into the drama that was going to play out at the end of the age. He gets Psalm 2 and he explains it to us. And then verse 10, we get David's commentary. David says this, because of this dramatic collision, therefore... Kings of the earth, be wise. Be instructed. You judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is even a little, kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. David's commentary is this. Don't resist God's chosen king. He goes, bow low and kiss the son. He goes, get the picture. The father is not going to relent. The father is not going to move back one inch. This is what's coming. He's going to set his king on his holy hill in Zion. He goes, kiss the son. He goes, get to know him in intimacy. Fall in love with him. Be instructed, oh you judges of the earth. He goes, get the picture on what is wisdom right now. And while the nations of the earth today are operating under the influence, under the the demonic sway of the spirit of Antichrist that's already in the earth, and they don't even understand that they are are setting themselves against the agenda of the Lord by, by operating by the sway, 
While that's true in the nations, it's going to become real clear in a minute. They will know that they're aligning with a man against God. They will know it. They will know they are choosing to follow this, this antichrist leader. And they, are, they will give that man their worship. And they will say no to God and, and to God's people. But while that's what's going on in, in the kings of the earth in, in, a, in a way right now where they don't even perhaps even conceive of what they're doing, what's got me gripped is the church. We don't have any perception of the agenda of the Lord right now. We don't understand the Father's non-negotiable choice of Jesus. We don't have the picture of His uh, plan to install Jesus in the earth as the King. We don't have a concept of Jesus ruling from Zion and proclaiming the word of the Lord. We don't have any understanding hardly at all that we have a dramatic participation in the kingdom on the earth in the next age. And beloved, this is our blessing. This is our blessing. I want to say this, that when we live veiled and unaware of these realities, we don't understand why Israel, why that Israel thing is such a big point. We don't understand, you know, the whole millennium thing, you know, it's a thousand year reign, we don't get it. And it sort of becomes cliche. We are veiled from the truth of the reality of the kingdom of God. And that's a stunning thing because that's the kingdom that we're supposed to be a part of. And I pray this, that our eyes would be enlightened. That the verses would come alive. We, I mean, I've just read like two little portions of scripture I mean just like nothing and there's I mean there's I mean so many of them 50 chapters at least in the Old Testament that just expound on the millennium expound on the day of the Lord at the end of the age God has an agenda he's going to bring dramatic pressings on the earth at the end of the age he's going to birth his king in the earth Jesus is his king. He's going to return and Jesus will overthrow the thrones of the nations and Jesus will rule the nations from Jerusalem and he will teach us his ways from there. You and I will have participation in this reality. That's not fairy tale. That's biblical truth that we've got to get our minds around or else we live in a completely impractical way in this life. When we are detached from these truths, the way we spend our nine to five makes no sense. Most are just trying to figure out where do you know, how do I get my light bill paid? Or how do I, you know, sort of be nice a little bit nicer? I'm a Christian now. I want to be a little nicer to people. You are a part of a global empire. The king and a value system and an agenda that's coming. That's what Christianity is. I'm not concerned with the rise of Islam. Islam must rise. It must. It must rise so it can be struck down. Everything that opposes Jesus will be struck down. I'm not concerned with it. The beast empire has to rule and reign from somewhere. It has to have a religious system from someplace. I'm not concerned with it. I want to be about the, the agenda of God. I want to be hurling myself headlong into this fasting and prayer and birthing the kingdom in the earth. I want to pray that scary prayer, kingdom come will of God be done see when you begin to tune in a little bit to the understanding of the kingdom it changes the way you determine to live 9 to 5 Monday through Friday it totally changes it good let's just stand I'm, I'm actually pretty happy and I really do like you people 
I'm just a little concerned. God's going to release these things. He's going to release revelation to us. He's going to bring us into rhythm. He's going to cause us to tune our life with His agenda. He will. He's going he's to bring pressings, and it's going to cause all the props that we're propping our lives up with right now to be removed from our lives, and He's going to remove the gray areas. That's what's coming, beloved. Turn the sound of the trumpet up, Lord, please. But let's just pray. God, I pray we wouldn't live uh, blind from your agenda at the end of the age. And we wouldn't live blind from the reality of the kingdom, the age to come. Would you let the word bear upon us? The word of the Lord will go forth from Zion. The mountain of the Lord's house, it will be established above all the other mountains of the earth. You have set your king, your holy hill in Zion. God, I pray you'd give us a faith that's practical. Faith that makes sense. A faith that makes sense for the end of the age and the age to come. God, the way that we spend our time and our money, it would make sense. Comprehending that you're birthing a kingdom. You're raising a global prayer movement in order to have a bride crying out, Come, come, kingdom come. Spirit and the bride, we say, Come. I'm asking God, pierce us through with truth. Pierce us through with truth. Pierce us through with reality. Pierce us through with reality. I pray that the word of the Lord, it would run swiftly, that we wouldn't be able to escape it. I pray that God, no matter how we try to, to rationalize the truths of the scriptures, God, that they would chase us down. Let the word of the Lord, let it chase us down. Let it run swiftly and let it be glorified. Help Help God. Help us to have understanding. Help us to get about your agenda. Oh, we want to kiss the sun. We want to bow low. We want to kiss the sun. We want to be instructed. We want to be instructed. We want to bow low. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry. God, I pray that the fear of the Lord would come. Let it be ours. Let it be ours. God, that we wouldn't be like what Jeremiah said, silly children who have no desire, no delight in hearing the word of the Lord. God, I pray that our hearts would be instructed with truth in this time. We would get about your agenda. We would see what it is you're doing in this hour. God, we need your help. We need your help. We need your help. Enlighten our eyes. Turn up the sound of the trumpet, God. Let the siren sound. Let it be loud. Let it be loud.